Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Glad you're here. We're working our way through Words That Heal Today, one of Ernest Holmes' books. The idea of it, he's taking some of the more what would I say, more consistent chapters of the New Testament and doing a new thought interpretation of them. Last week, we learned a little bit about the idea of love and law, some of the Jesus's teachings around the idea of love being pervasive in the world, and also the idea that the law of cause and effect is there to enact the love, if you will. Today, we're moving into the world of the human condition. That's the other series of teachings that Ernest Holmes found a common theme in Jesus is his work. And, uh, and guess what Ernest Holmes believes is the main things that contribute to the human condition in its negative state. Any ideas? They're related. Grudges and judgments. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about the idea of forgiveness and the idea of acceptance as the, the sort of antidote, if you will, <laughs> um, to uh, judgment and, uh, and unforgiveness. And I think, uh, of course, the best place to start is always a joke. So here we go. A Sunday school teacher had just concluded a lesson on making apologies and being forgiven. She felt she'd done a good job and that the kids had been most attentive that Sunday. To make sure she'd made her point, though, she asked, can anyone tell me what you must do before you obtain forgiveness for your bad behaviors? There was a short pause, and then from the back of the room, a small boy spoke up. Well, bad behavior, he said. (laughs) Can't be forgiven if you don't do it. (laughs) All right. So sometimes the jokes are funnier than others. (laughs) So if we're going to start talking about forgiveness, um, let's start where Ernest Holmes started, which is right out of the Bible in the parable of the unmerciful servant. Now, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, uh, but I want you at least to get the the gist of this because I think it's significant. First of all, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who transgresses against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And in fact, in some translations of the Bible, it's seven times 70, even a a bigger number. And then Jesus goes on to tell an actually pretty outrageous parable about what happens when you don't forgive. So the story is of a, of a king that had a servant that owed him a lot of money. And in fact, the king had the option of actually selling his servant into slavery to pay off the debt or put him in prison. And instead, he took mercy upon the, the servant and just forgave him the debt. Just said, okay, you know, you can still be my servant. The debt is forgiven. Let's just move forward. So it was truly uh, a genuine act of, of forgiveness, forgiving such a debt. 
However, this servant who has just, had just been forgiven, uh, one of his friends owed him a small sum of money, and he said, you got to pay up, or I'm going to have the jailer come for you. Well, of course, you know how things work in real life. Things always get back to, right? And so eventually the king finds out that the person he had forgiven uh, was not so forgiving uh, with one of his friends. And here is what Jesus had to say about that. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Whoa, suddenly the Prince of Peace, Jesus, not quite the loving soul, right? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Whoa. So how does Ernest Holmes put the metaphysical spin on that? Well, I got to tell you, it's, it really is the idea of torture. Ernest Holmes says that if we are unforgiven, there's some real torture going on. And guess who gets the effect of that torture? Yeah. So let's fast forward, gosh, I don't know, a couple thousand years, and I'll, I'll tell you a story from my, from my own life about this that uh, really made a difference, really, really got me onto the idea of, of truly forgiving people as often as I can. Um, so the first time I went home to meet Daniel's mother, my partner's mother, it, does everybody get nervous when you meet someone's family for the first time? Okay, so it wasn't, it wasn't just me. I mean, I, I knew a little bit about her. I, I knew that, that she and her husband had divorced, and so I was just meeting her, and I knew that she worked in a daycare center, and I knew some of it, but I hadn't really spoken to her before, and so I was a little nervous, and so um, I'm, uh, you know, we shake hands and say hi and the usual kind of things, and for some reason, Daniel had left something in the car, and so he went down to get to the car and she came up to me and she started telling me about how painful the divorce had been. And so you could tell, you know, very present in her mind about how her, well, her husband and, you know, my boyfriend's father had treated her badly and issues on alimony. And I'm kind of thinking, well, it's nice meeting you too, you know, but, <laughs> but I, but I mean, I'm okay with what's, I mean, I'm present for people, I'm, uh, and, and, and if she wanted to get that off her chest, you know, that's fine with me. And so we talked a little bit about, um, you know, what an SOB he was and so on. And, well, I should say she talked about it, and I listened. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then from then, Daniel came back, and, and actually the evening was quite nice. She'd made a nice spaghetti dinner for us, and we had some fun. And, but I got to tell you, on the car ride back, I'm like, Daniel, why didn't you tell me that your parents, that, you know, that this divorce thing is still going on, that she's thinking of suing him for, for past alimony and stuff. And he just looked at me. They divorced 20 years ago. She was completely tortured by something that had happened 20 years ago. She had a good job. She had the potential for a good life. She had children and friends and family that loved her. And the first thing on her mind was unforgiveness, was holding 
a grudge against her ex. It completely crushed this woman. Her entire life revolved around how she was the victim in this circumstance. So, I gotta tell you, that was my, that was an epiphany that I had, because there were some things in my own life, of course, things that had happened to me that I had had, perhaps not grudges quite like that, but nonetheless, when I would look back on my life and think of certain situations or certain people, there were occasions when I, too, sort of had that feeling of righteous indignation. Does everyone kind of know where, oh, oh, a lot of you are nodding, all right. That sort of feeling like they don't deserve to be forgiven, that what they did was so, I don't know, unkind or so rotten or, or had such an effect that somehow by my maintaining a little bit of my anger, it was righteously done, that, it, that there was something about holding on to it that maybe in some way was useful in the world. I gotta tell you, I threw that out. Because what I recognized Daniel's mother was going through was just a greater degree of what I was holding onto myself. That any kind of resentments I hold onto, the only person that suffers is me. The only person that is held down, or, or as Jesus said, is tortured, is just me. The other people have gone on about their lives. The other people are, are doing what they want. And I got to tell you, so like three weeks later, I meet Daniel's father, right? And I'm expecting the ogre, the evil guy, the rotten person. And you could not have met a sweeter man on the planet. So, so was he suffering because his ex-wife, you know, you know, thought so poorly of him? No, he had actually moved on and was having a lovely life, enjoying him himself and being free and being a good father to his kids. The only one that suffers from that place of unforgiveness is us. Whatever we can do to release any kind of uh, attachment to negative energy in the past and things that have been done to you or, or situations or, or ways of being that have colored your life let us release the anger. Let us release the sadness. It's not that we have to forget them. That's fine. We, we certainly know that things happen to us, but let us move on. Let us enjoy our lives free and unfettered. So the other thing that Ernest Holmes picked out of the majority of Jesus' writings is on the idea of judgment. And I think where I want to start talking about that is kind of nailing down a couple definitions here. Does everyone know the difference between discernment and judgment? So I want to talk about those two definitions. And I, uh, although Ernest Holmes has kind of a nice 1940s definition, I went to the Oxford International Dictionary and just pulled out what they have. So first of all, judgment is an opinion usually culminating in a conclusion. So that's a judgment, an opinion usually culminating in a conclusion. A discernment is the perception in the absence of judgment with a view to obtaining direction or understanding. So subtle difference here. Let me highlight the difference with a couple examples. 
Um, so a really long time ago, I remember going out on a first date with someone. Uh, remember what some of your first dates were like? You're, you're kind of hesitant and you're kind of feeling weird. Am I on my best behavior? Do I look okay? You know, have we picked the right rest- restaurant? You know, how much should I talk? How much should I not talk? That kind of thing. Well, we had, we had picked a, a, a kind of a new restaurant that, that neither, we, neither of us had been to. And we get there, and unfortunately, pretty packed. The only place for us to seat was outside on one of those little, uh, um, you know, the little bistro kind of tables that they have on the sidewalks all over. Well, that wasn't really our plan, um, but that's what we did. And, and the restaurant was slammed, so we sat there for quite a while, and finally the waiter came, and then for me, everything was fine, because he was a, a funny waiter, and he, you know, walked us through the menu and welcomed us, and is this your first time? And and I just felt nice, and pretty soon I noticed, well, you know, it wasn't our choice, but it's a nice warm evening, and it's kind of summer, and it's kind of fun to watch the people walking by and interacting with them. And, and the food, again, they were really busy, so the food uh, took a while to get there, but it was fine. We were talking, and the food was good, and we had a, uh, really a, a, a nice time. And, and I think we even, you know, had a dessert. Like, we were there for quite a while, and, and it was, I thought it was a nice date. On the way home, my date said it was one of the f- worst experiences of his life. <laughs> that he had made a reservation to be inside, not outside, that the waiter was way too friendly when and if he finally got there. He said that the food was terrible, that whoever was running that restaurant really shouldn't be in the restaurant business at all because everything was just not acceptable. (laughs) <laughs> well, and, th- and thank you, Sarah. I, secretly, I kind of wondered if maybe I figured into that, too, for it to be that bad uh, of an evening. Thank you, and thank you for noticing, yeah. <laughs> uh, what I came to understand, though, was there's a difference between discernment and judgment, so everything that he said on the factual side of things was true. We were seated outside instead of inside, right? The, the waiter was a, a little bit late. I thought he was friendly as opposed to overly friendly, but whatever that means, right? You can't take too much friendliness. But, uh, <laughs> but, but of course, right? I made my own kind of judgment that this was a nice evening, right? My own conclusion about the evening was that things were fine. He, of course, was free to make his own conclusion or judgment around the evening and the, um, you know, the ambiance and all of that. I got to ask you, though, who is happier? (laughs) See, this is the trouble with turning discernments into judgments is so often when we do that last little bit of passing our judgment on the people involved or the the situation when we say to ourselves, whoever's running this restaurant just shouldn't be in the business, right? We, We pass a judgment on them. Again, who suffers? The owner of the restaurant somewhere, I mean, they were busy. They're doing a great job, right? People were lined up. I don't think they're suffering. (laughs) Who suffered that night? 
the people passing the judgment. So whatever we can do to accept life on its own terms, I think that's what creates the human condition in a positive light. The human condition always will have things coming at us, right? We will not always get our way in life. I, I, I hope I'm not telling anyone anything new there, <laughs> right? We will always have a snarky boss. We will always have a situation where we get seated outside instead of inside. We'll, we'll always have the fender bender in the parking lot. You know, those kinds of things are part of the human condition. But what we do with it makes all the difference. When we build up resentments, when we pass judgment, when we stand in what we think is our righteous indignation, who suffers? It is just us. And the more we make it to do over it, the more that we tend to allow it to color our lives in terms of future behaviors and future thoughts, the more a, a bad situation turns into bad thoughts, which turns into a grudge, which turns into kind of willful hating. You know, the more along that line we go, the torture just ramps up. It's like the burner on the stove. The more you feel the heat, who's burning up? I want to use one more uh, kind of silly example that I hope we have some pet lovers out there. For those of you who have pet pets, how do they generally feel about the vacuum cleaner? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in my house, when the vacuum cleaner goes on, those two dogs, they're upside, upstairs and under the bed until the vacuum cleaner turns off because they understand that that is just a horrible commotion that they want to have nothing to do with. But you know what? The vacuum cleaner, when it's not running, sits right next to their bed, <laughs> and they're fine with it. They have astutely made the discernment that when the vacuum cleaner runs, it's no fun. But they do not hate the vacuum cleaner. They have not, they have, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm comparing us all to my dogs and saying that they've got it figured out maybe better than I do, but they have not passed judgment on the vacuum cleaner. As long as it's not misbehaving, they're fine with it. I would like us to look at our own, our own lives with the same equanimity. When people are actively doing things rotten, we have every right to make the discernment, I'm getting out of here, I'm gonna do what's necessary to make me safe, I'm gonna go upstairs and hide under the bed. What, whatever is necessary to keep you safe, keep you motivated moving forward in your life, discernment is a wonderful thing. And let us not learn to hate the vacuum cleaner. Let us be just fine with the people and pieces of our life that are doing us no harm in that moment. If we can do that, the human condition improves. 
I'm going to close today with a bit of homework and, of course, another reading from uh, uh, Words That Heal Today. The homework, I think, is an interesting one. It may be difficult to do on one little perspective. I'm afraid you'll get through the week and won't have thought of doing it. And so I recommend, if you're willing, to maybe put a a rubber band on your wrist or a string on your finger just as a reminder to be thinking about it. What I'm going to ask you to do is... Notice a time during this week when things do not go according to plan, right? So you're seated outside when you want to be inside. The vacuum cleaner goes off when you're least expecting it, right? You come out of the parking lot and there's a scratch on your car. No note, no one to be seen, that kind of thing, right? Something happens this week, and I'm sure it will. I know it will to me. I I imagine it will to everyone. Something will not go according to your desire or your plan. What do you do with it? Do you make a discernment or do you make a judgment? Do you say to yourself, wow, maybe if I want to be more careful with the car, I'll park on the back side of the parking lot where there are few people parked? Or do you say, Those so-and-so awful people who would scrape my car. Do you see how it is? One, a discernment is proactive. A discernment will allow you to move through life um, with greater ease and greater freedom. And the judgment just turns up the heat. The judgment doesn't really help you in any way. It just creates that feeling of victimhood. It just allows you to be angry in a way that's not productive. So that's your homework for this week. Just that simple idea of something has, quote, gone wrong. Am I going to be discerning about it or am I going to pass judgment? And I think you'll know where to take it from there. I think you'll, as soon as you recognize that you're maybe doing a little bit of judging, I think you'll go, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, is this really helpful? What part of this is a learning experience, and what part of it can I simply release to free myself up? Now, you've probably gathered by now, the whole point of this is freedom. The whole point of this is allowing your heart to experience love and life, joy, and peace. And when it is locked up tight in a judgment or an unforgiveness, when you're actively hating someone for the way they've treated you or the way they're showing up in your life, it's like you're wearing a straitjacket. It's like Jesus talking about the jailer torturing you. You're going to feel that way until you give it up. You're going to be diminished until you experience the freedom of forgiveness. So I'm going to read the final uh, quote from this chapter in the book, and we'll have a prayer. This was one of the fundamental teachings of this great spiritual genius, Jesus. Nothing in the universe holds anything against us. Nothing vindictive ever flows from spirit. Jesus knew the frailties of the human condition. Above and beyond these frailties, He knew that there was a divine power and a loving presence whose whole nature is simply to bless. The God of love, the God who does not condemn. Would it be too much to say that he taught there is no sin but a mistake and no punishment 
but the consequences of our own unforgiveness. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence, one, one life, one wholeness, one joy, one peace. And what I know about this thing, what I, what I know about God, is that it's right in my own heart. That as my heart opens to receive the love, as it opens to receive joy and peace, oh my gosh, my world and the world around me opens like a beautiful spring flower ready to receive more, ready to be a, a joy for myself and others. This is what it means to be forgiven. This is what it means to forgive. This is what it means to, to stop at discernment and not, not wade myself into something deeper and darker. And so I'm grateful for this. And I'm grateful to know that each person in this room can have the human condition improve for them as they forgive as they move through their lives with non-judgment, life is good. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.